light your fire your woods with. <laughs> Would you stand with me, please, one more time this morning? We're in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel is the history-making, life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. Our series text is the key to the whole book as found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We're opening that chapter today. We'll get through about 12 verses, but let's read this again. This is in the ESV, which by now, those of you that have been coming for a while have already memorized, so you'll be comfortable with this. Here we go. Let's do it together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Bow your hearts with me, please. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your amazing gift of grace, your obedience to the Father, to, to answer the call before the foundation of the world when he said, who will go for me? And you said, I will. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you rescued, you ransomed us, you, you died in order to pay. Uh, we'd been kidnapped, we'd been captured, we'd been held in bondage by the enemy. Our, our very father, Adam himself, had sold himself into slavery and resulting curse and sin and death. He'd been in captive to the evil one. Jesus, thank you that you came and you rescued us. You led captivity captive. You brought it out. And Lord, we acknowledge that this morning, that you've come to set us free. You've made us free. You've broken every chain. What you did on the cross finished it in finality. Jesus, we give you praise this morning. Move in this service Open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears. Holy Spirit, blow across dead hearts and regenerate them, making them alive. Um, I, I've been wrestling with it all week long, and I was talking to Don early on. I think it was Monday in the week. When I Be faithful to the Word. I want to be faithful to what the Scripture says at the same time. I want to bring it in such a way so that it is life-giving. And once you know, if you've been coming to Victory for a while, you know that we're never afraid to speak to the hard passages of the Word because I think the reason sometimes when we grow up Christianettes instead of Christians <clears throat> is because we have men in the pulpit that sort of skirt past the hard passages and just want to make everybody feel good. And sometimes we need to feel bad so that the Spirit of God can do a work so that we can feel good. We can feel good righteously. We can feel good in a fulfilled, biblically correct, solid kind of way and not just because your ears have been tickled or because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Let me just say this. We were but grace that transforms, grace that changes. The, the, the goodness of God that we never can earn or deserve. And so today, um, I'm not afraid of this passage uh, but I just want to tell you on the front end that it probably will, there will probably be aspects of it that might offend you. But let me just say the word offends me. There, there, there are hard places where I look and I see what the theologians call the hard sayings of Jesus. And, and there's something about them that kind of puts a little barb, even in me as a pastor, as a, as a quote, man of God. And uh, so I want to bring this with grace this morning, but I don't want to soft pedal it. I want to just give it, lay it on the table full force. And then I believe if you'll stay with me till the end and if you won't shut me down and, and think that I'm going to just deliver you the same kind of pharisaical finger pointing just to do this morning. Number two, and Pharisees came up and in order to test him, everybody say test him, in order to test him asked. Now this is not because they didn't know the answer to this question. They were just trying to provoke Jesus. 
like they always do. They're trying to test him. They ask the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 3, he answered them, what did Moses command you? Verse 4, they answered or they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Verse 5, and Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Everybody say male and female. There's no arguing with that. That's pretty clear. Okay, so when we talk about biblical marriage, we're talking about a male and a female. And I'm just going to move on from there. Verse 7, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to, the, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Now who did the joining here? What God has joined together, let not man separate. If you've probably grown up in the, the, the sermons or the vows that have been spoken, most of which probably come from the Anglican prayer book, most of which that we all use, and they use the old King James language, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And does anybody know what asunder means? Probably not. It means to separate. And so we see that clearly in the ESV, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So God's done the joining. Man shouldn't be tried to unjoin something, okay, to disjoint it. Verse 10, and in the house... The disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. God, add your blessing and just baptize us, everyone, with the grace, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit right now. Do what only you can do in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. I was watching TV during the week and sitting at my counter and doing some study and I happened to see some early morning show, maybe today or something like that, where they're actually talking about marriage and divorce and the problems that people have in relationships. This being probably the most common thing to our humanity that we all experience, and that is just the challenges to getting along, the challenges to making something last, the challenges to following through with a commitment. Um, and, and a comedian said it this way, and I thought, you know what, this is something everyone has probably heard, but hey, I'll at least start it with a little bit of humor because it's going to be slightly difficult to bring this message. And who was it, the, 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 the great theologian Mary Poppins said, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> you didn't know she was a theologian, did you? Um, it, the, the title of the message this morning is called Divorcing Our Covenant-Breaking Culture. So I want to turn this thing back around on its head and say that as believers, we need to separate ourselves from the way the world is going in the larger sense of covenant breaking. And that does not only, it certainly does include marriage, but it speaks to everything else. In this extremely litigious society in which we live, and that's a $100 word for basically filing lawsuits, um, that people figure out a way to go in and you know, discover a loophole and get themselves out of a contract that they had originally signed and committed to pay something un in, under so many kinds of terms and within so many years or so many months at, at such and such interest rate or an agreement where you sit down and you have uh, interest in a company alongside a partner and that's in writing and then you don't like it and so you figure out a way to finagle. That's a 
That's kind of an old person term. I, my daddy used to talk about finagling around with. I don't know what it means. I don't think you can even find it in the dictionary. But everybody knows what, everybody knows what finagling means. You've been finagling around with it. You're trying to change it. And, and the comedian that I was listening to talked about relationships, and it's put it on the screen if you would for me, uh, because I think that this is so true. Most women marry men with the view of changing them. Thank you for the laughs. I'll need them later. Most men marry women with the view of them never changing. Herein lies the problem. How many of you understand that? Uh, we have all been probably at some point or another either the recipient of some attempt to change us or we've tried to change the other one or we've been sort of fooled into thinking that what we start out with is what we're going to end up with. And that sounds rather cynical and negative, and I don't mean it in a pessimistic kind of way, but just life happens, folks. You know, somebody said one time, you make plans and then life happens. And, and life happens to all of us. Somebody I hadn't seen in a while that came in the first service, and they said, you're looking good. I said, no, I'm getting old. And, and, and they said, no, you look good. I said, no, you're just either, your, your sight is going or you're being very gracious. <laughs> Although I will say that I'm thankful that it's just turning gray and not turning loose. <laughs> so long as you don't look back here. <laughs> and I finally gave up on Rogaine. It was too expensive. <laughs> and I did try it for a little while. It didn't work for me. So anyway, most women marry men with the view of changing them. And most men marry women with the view that they will never change. And that creates an incredible expectation for which we set ourselves up for a, a disappointment that is just about guaranteed. Pharisees are just doing nothing but what they always do. They're trying to test Jesus. They're not interested in a greater understanding of the law of God or the commandment, but they're just trying to test Jesus. Now, in order to be able to speak this this morning clearly to everyone, I think it's always critical that we understand our reference points. We refer to something, and from that understanding that we all agree on, then we move out, and we see what the Word says, and we draw... We, we draw implications from it and we make application from the word into our lives. It's important that we really know what the word divorce means. And I, I'm sure that everybody really does, but it's still, it's just, it's, it bears taking the time to share it. You look up any dictionary and I Googled this one. This was Webster's online dictionary. And it says the ending of a marriage by a legal process. Secondly, it said a complete separation between two things. So you can divorce yourself from an attitude. You can... Divorce, it's literally cutting the connection, removing the joint that connects between two things. You can dissolve a contract and divorce yourself from someone in which you've been in a relationship with. You can certainly divorce a spouse. And the larger idea here is, is beyond marriage, but marriage is the central theme that Jesus is talking about, and the Pharisees are asking him the question. So, so what's up with this? Now, when we look at the Greek words, and as they put them up here, you can see... The first word, apoluo, is, literally means to put away. And when you read this passage, Mark chapter 10 in the King James, they literally ask that in the phrase itself. Is it okay for a man to put away his wife? Now, I don't know what you hear when you say that, but I'm, I'm almost seeing institutionalize. But it's, it's not that idea of sending her off somewhere, but to put her away is to put her away from himself. In other words, it's, it's like get out of my face. You're no longer connected to me. I'm not responsible for you. I will not steward your life any longer. I'm not going to nurture, care for, I'm not going to be responsible for paying your bills, but I'm putting her away from me, okay? The, the 
the noun form, uh, you, you can see it there, is apostasia. And then it's the Greek that follows. And so I asked them to put up both. I think it's good just to see a little bit of Greek, not that maybe one person in the room might be able to read it, but to, to just to be able to see that there in the language. And if you look at the one, one, two, three lines down, apostasion, do you see an English word there? Apostasy, yes. And that's the reason I asked them to put the English transliteration, which this is not an English word, but that's just using our vowels and, and consonants to show us how to say the word that follows, okay? So when you see that, you see the concept of apostasy. It's, it's apostate. Put an A in front of an English word, a Greek word, usually any of the, the romantic languages, Latin-based languages, A in front of something, and it means to negate, okay? Um, apostate means you're leaving your post, and it's literally translated a defection or a standing off. When, when I'm doing what I'm called to do, to steward something for which God has given me responsibility, then I'm at my post, okay? I, I'm carrying out my calling. I am fulfilling my duty. I, I am doing my obligation, which the law of God commands me. And, and as a husband, that is to love and honor and cherish my wife, okay? As a wife, that is to, to love and to respect and to submit to. And those are almost coarse words in the 21st century. Sometimes, sometimes the older guys will say, why don't you preach on Ephesians 5, Pastor, you know, that women are supposed to submit to their husbands. And I said, I'll be glad to. But I just want you to know I'm not going to ignore the passage there that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Which means, I believe, any woman will willingly submit to a man who will sacrifice his life and lay it down for her. Y'all don't shout me down now, but come on, somebody help me. So we have the problems and we are going to divorce court because we lose the initial key text of Mark. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we take that idea into marriage, I don't enter this marriage just to be served, but I enter this marriage to serve and to lay my life down for this other person. That's the spirit of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. And when we understand that, we understand that that must be the foundation of any real biblical marriage that a husband lays his life down for his wife and that she in turn does so in submission to him. That doesn't mean that she just becomes a rubber stamp and says yes to whatever he says do. It means he needs to be a godly man and be a priest in the home and to, to love and honor and cherish and pray for and cover and, and, and to protect and guard and guide and to provide and all of these important things that you swear to God that you're going to do when you stand up before people among witnesses and in the presence of God and you say, for rich or for poor in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. I was visited... And I have been over the years. We've been leading this congregation for over 20 years. And for the last couple of decades, we, first of all, the first few years we were down at 620 West Broadway in what we call the Shoebox Church. It was just one little bay back behind where Phil Ford State Farm Insurance Agency used to be. And we were renting that one. Then we outgrew it and grew it to two. And then we started renting from the third one. And that's when actually Guarantee Loan called me and said, Preacher, I heard you're growing We've got a space down at the mall we'd like to, you to look at if you'd like to be in. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. 
my wife, every time we would pull into town from Memphis, she would say, before we build a building, we will have church right over there. And I'd say, you're crazy. Dawn would say it every time. She'd say, go ahead and laugh. That's fine. I'm telling you, I've heard the Lord. I've heard you the Lord. The Lord's whispered in my heart. We will have church over there in that mall before we build a building. And I'd say, you're crazy. That means Sears would have to go out. Well, guess what happened? <laughs> Sears went out. And I didn't call them. They called me. So we heard churches growing. And, and so um, I, 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 that kind of got off track. Let me jump back on here. And so because of literally being out here on the front of the city, we get visited all the time from, from people who don't have church. They don't have an affiliation. They don't have a formal membership. And, you know, really, honest, let's just really be honest. Let's everybody look at your name and say, he's going to keep it real today. It real. And, and so we get visited by people who really don't have any desire to have any involvement in church any other time of their life. But when they get married, they decide they want to have a church wedding. And then, of course, I want to go, well... You know what, this one's a little different. Maybe it's not quite the chapel photography kind of a situation that you're looking for. But they say, no, we don't care. We just want to be married by a man of God. And so I'm visited all the time. I, I literally, a one day, and this is the truth. This is, let's see, this is 2013. This was probably about 15 years ago because it was the late 90s when this happened. I'm here at the church and I'm by myself and I'm in the office doing some work and, and just working around and I hear the, the front ringer, the bell ring and I, I'm walking through the foyer and I'm looking and I see an old guy and a young girl in literally a prom dress. Now this guy's got to be, he's got to be, his social security checks have already kicked in. <laughs> he's missing a couple of teeth and she cannot be much older than about 17 years old and she has a, a little wristlet corsage on and a, and a pink prom dress, literally. And they said, we wanted to see if you would marry us. <laughs> and first of all, I was just so creeped out by this picture anyway. Um... And I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm going, my goodness, it can't be that he's got the money that she's marrying him. And, and he's, he's, there's nothing wrong with getting old, but there's just something wrong with a teenager and a 60-something-year-old. This is the truth. God is my witness. This happened. And I said, I really don't think that I'm the person to marry you. You probably want to go get a justice of the peace. Because I just saw so many things wrong with this picture. And I just said... You know, let me just tell you, we, I, I don't just come in and counsel you for 15 or 20 minutes and then go, okay, let's stand up. Let me get my marriage book out, my minister's manual, and I do and you do and they did and it's over. No, I, I, want, I want to sit down with you for several weeks and we want to talk about some very critical issues in your life in terms of compatibility. And Do you both know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Because the Bible says don't unequally be yoked together with unbelievers. Y'all don't shout me down, that's the scripture. And, and so they, they went away mad and probably said bad things about me in the community. And frankly, I could not really, I honestly could not care less because they don't, they don't have any influence. Um, it's just unfortunate uh, because I wouldn't marry him on the spot. And I, I, I think so many times about people entering into relationships that are already on the front end destined to not last because of just being riddled with so much baggage and so many problems. Now... I want to say to you this morning that those of you that are sitting here and you've been through the pain of having gone through divorce, that my heart is for you and that there is life after it. And Jesus Christ, his relentless love has never, ever, ever one bit been tainted or tarnished or has it lessened for you because of the experience that you've walked through. 
Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus Christ loves the divorcee. About the generation that's coming up in order to try to prepare them biblically so they don't have to experience some of the pain that you have gone through. Now, can you see that as a redemptive reason for opening up this passage? For one thing, it's just in the Bible, so therefore we shouldn't ignore it. Okay? God does not like covenant breaking. He is a covenant keeping God. He's a God of His Word. He is a God of integrity. His Word has integrity. You remember from 7th grade math studying integers. Everybody say integer. Integers are whole numbers and it's the same word family. Uh, the word integrity comes from that concept of whole numbers. Integers. And so integrity means wholeness. It is without manipulation. It doesn't contain deception. It is basically following through with the commitment that's been made. God's word is a God of integrity. He, we, we, we have the word based on two covenants. Everybody say covenant. So we start talking about a covenant-keeping God. His, his covenants are eternal. Okay, God does not like divorce because it's the unjoining. It's the putting asunder. It's the separating of something that He has joined together. And God does not like breaking a commitment. And we are a commitment-breaking culture. We are a divorce-riddled culture. And I'm not just talking about marriage statistics. We are... We are a litigious society where we go in and figure out a loophole in order to be able to get out of a contract or, or, or break an agreement between partners and a business because it no longer suits us. And let me just say, I want to qualify that by saying there are legit, legitimate times that you do that. We are not just throwing a blanket over the whole thing and saying that you never, ever divorce because there are biblical reasons to divorce. Okay, And so we want to look at those this morning as well. Look at, before we get there, look at some divorce statistics with me. This is the scary thing. This came from the website, uh, www.divorcestatistics.org. Um, and this basically, the, the idea of one out of two marriages ending in divorce is not quite totally accurate. It really is somewhere between 45 and 50% because you don't really have the complete breakdown in terms of age groups. What happened was... A, a statistician walked in one year and looked at uh, the results of the census and happened to see that the number of marriages that year set against in ratio to the number of divorces that had taken place happened to be 50%. And so this is where kind of the myth of the 50% divorce rate came from. Now, that just means that those divorces that took place that year, some of them have been married a year, some of them have been married 25 years, some have been married three years, 10 years, whatever. And so it doesn't really give us the breakdown. But this thing has continued to increase. We've been sort of throwing around this 50% divorce rate for the last two decades, and we are literally at the point where it is becoming that, mathematically accurately said so, statistically proven. Now, the first marriage, if you make the choice whether or not, let's just, let's just move ourselves away from the idea of whether it's biblically justified or not. When you make that first choice to break that first covenant and you end that marriage in divorce, when you go into the second one, the second marriage has an even less opportunity to be successful. Second marriages, the divorce rate goes up from between 60 to 67% ending in divorce. If you decide you don't love her anymore and you've lost that loving feeling or you don't love him anymore and you want to get out of that one and you divorce that one and you wait for a while and you kind of get out there and, you know, 
make your profile on eHarmony.com and you start dating and hanging out at the wrong places, looking for love in all the wrong places. I tell young people all the time, you're not going to find a good godly girl down there at the bar. You need to find, you need to come on down here to church. And that's what my grandparents made my dad do. So you want to date, you want to see Mary Agnes? You can see her twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday nights. That'll be the time y'all spend some time together. What my granddaddy told my daddy. Daddy said, I'll be there. <laughs> Praise God. They had a marriage that lasted almost 63 years when dad passed. And both of their... Come on, give God praise. That's great. Some of you have family members that have gone longer than that. So we're not glorifying anybody named Smith. My, 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 the, my grandparents on my dad's side and my grandparents on my mother's side both made it past the 50-year mark. And one into 60 were very close to 70 years. And so it's just amazing to see and to be able to say, hey, I'm thankful for that legacy. Now, don't let that depress you this morning and say, well, he's, he's got a leg up on us because he's a third generation. Because you know what? I can blow it in this moment and let all that legacy just fly right out the door. But what you need to be thinking about is this. You know what? I may have come from a broken home, but I'm determined that I'm going to drive a stake in the ground and this covenant-breaking mess is going to end with my generation. And I'm going to provide that kind of a stable home so that my children and my grandchildren will be able to have that sort of security that solid relationships bring in terms of blessing our children. Come on, somebody, say amen. When you, when you break the second marriage and go into the third one, your chances of making it literally become almost 25%. The, the chances of it ending in divorce jump up from 70 to 73%. In divorce, So we're talking almost three out of four at that point, third marriage. Um, let me just say to you as I just sort of scroll through this because I, I tried to figure out how I wanted to, to present this and I thought, you know what, there's going to be a lot of questions. There are biblical reasons for divorce. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, matter of fact, Matthew 5, 6, 7, he deals with this and some other locations in the Gospels. I'm not going to take time to refer to those passages because we don't have time this morning. Pardon me. But the very first one is adultery. And sometimes it uses the word fornication, which is sexual relationship outside of the one that you've made a commitment, made a covenant with. You've stood before God and witnesses and you've said, this one I pledge to be faithful, forsaking all others. Okay? Um, so if, if you have a spouse, husband or a wife, that is guilty of that situation of committing adultery, then you have an out. You have a biblical reason that you can dissolve uh, this particular relationship. Now, let me just say to you that anytime I counsel uh, a marriage where that has happened, I'm just going to hold it. Anytime I counsel a marriage where that has happened, I always talk to them about the opportunity for forgiveness. Because I believe that sometimes that people sin and make mistakes and that they turn and they repent and that really, believe it or not, you can have something better than you've ever actually had when God heals that. In the very same way that when a bone breaks and it heals, it's actually stronger at that point than any other place in the bone. Because it knits together in a greater way. I've had the privilege, it's blessed my heart to see God bring us broken marriages, couples in this church that have had a very difficult time and have been divorced and they both make a commitment to Christ, come back to God, or maybe it's their first time to commit to Jesus Christ, and somehow they find their way into victory and I have the privilege of sitting down and counseling them 
and saying, let's go back and let's sift through the rubble of the storm that blew through your life and let's look and see what we can rake off the bad stuff and find a foundation that's good and solid that we can build on. And it's awesome to see God join back together something that was joined and was broken. And when it gets joined back together, it has the potential of being stronger and better than it ever was before. Come on, somebody, give God some praise right now. Now, there are people that are sitting here and they're going, ain't no way I would go back to what I left. And you know what? I hear you. It's probably a good thing you did leave it. And sometimes there are biblical reasons why you did and sometimes there aren't. But to talk about the biblical reasons, adultery is one of them. Sexual infidelity. It's very obvious in the scripture. It declares us that. Adultery, they all start with A. You can see in 1 Corinthians 7 and I believe Romans chapter 7 where Paul talks about the husband dying and the wife no longer being uh, in bondage to or the expectation of living with because he's gone. And really it's a, it's a preaching of the gospel there in Romans 7 because he's talking about Adam has died and now your new husband is Christ. And that's the whole issue that so many times people of you, they're not paying the bills and they're just picked up and gone, then you don't have any biblical requirement to stay with them. You can remarry and you, can, you won't be committing adultery. Okay. Now, I have the last one in parentheses because I can't point you to a scripture, but I believe that I can really logically build a solid case connecting abuse to abandonment. If, so, if a man will beat you, he's abandoned his love to you in the first place. Women, and as crazy as this sounds, there's probably one out of a thousand where you'll find a man who's married to a crazy woman, she's the mayor of crazy town, and she's actually an abuser. Don't laugh because that does happen where he's, he's black-eyed and he's trying to be a, a godly man and trying to you know, withhold and not just, not just go WWE on her and open a can and do a smackdown. I, I mean, it does happen. Most of, the time, most of the time, it is men who can't control their tempers who are raging and they're slapping and smacking, and God have mercy. Let me tell you, I, I, I've got sense enough to know that if that ever happened to Dawn, I would probably not wake up the next day. <laughs> That's just something that, that would just never happen. Never, ever, ever not ever going to happen. That's just, she's the kind of woman that's not, you know, that's never going to happen. I've never been angry, and I've, let me just say, I've been angry enough I've had to back off, but I've never been angry enough that I've ever had the thought about physically hurting somebody in terms of the one that I love. And ladies, if you're in the room and that's something you're going through, I'll be glad to sit down with you and counsel you and we will walk alongside with you and we will help you. You need to get out of that mess. God does not expect you to stay in that kind of mess. And some of you have stayed and trusted God and tried and try, just been trying to make it. And let me tell you, God doesn't expect you to stay in a place where you're going to get beat up and hurt. Nor does He expect you to stay in a place where he can't be faithful to you and can't keep his pants zipped up and he's visiting every other little, little PYT, little young pretty thing out here and you don't need to have to, to fear the possibility of him bringing something home to you that antibiotics won't take care of. Now come on, I'm talking real plain this morning. Fidelity, if we honor the law of God, we are protected. If you, if you keep the law of God, you're protected. There, there's just, there are things that you just don't have to worry about if you just do what the Word of God says. Well, the thing is that apart from the grace of God, I can't keep the law of God. Now, I might be able... You know what? I didn't commit adultery with anybody this week. I didn't kill anybody this week. But you know what? I still have this thing in my mind called thoughts. Everybody in the room. There, it, it's, the opportunity is the sin doesn't come when the thought first comes. It's when I let it hang around and I start entertaining that idea. You know... 
Somebody asked Ruth Graham one time, said, Mrs. Graham, you, you're married to this very famous world preaching evangelist. Have you ever thought about divorce? This is a true story. She says, no, not that I can think of. She says, I've never thought about divorce, but I've certainly thought about murder. A bill of divorcement. Why do you go see the attorney in the first place? Is there a biblical reason? And let me just say this to you right now. Um, in this issue of forgiveness, let's be very careful that there is a huge distinction between forgiveness and trust. You can forgive, and it's a gift. You can make the choice to say, Honey, I'm going to choose to forgive you, but it's going to take a while for my trust to be rebuilt in you. Do, do you know that marriages end all the time not because there's no more love, but they end because there's no more trust? Do you know that uh, I, I love a lot of people, I love everybody in our church, but I don't trust everybody in our church. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not going to mention any names. God commands you and me to love everybody, but He only commands me to trust Him, God. Trust God. There's nowhere in the Bible where I'm commanded to trust anybody except God. That means if you trust me and I trust you, that I have earned your respect and you have earned mine. That means that if you start and continue to make withdrawals from the emotional bank account that exists between us in our relationship, and our friendship, in my marriage, you continue to make all of these trust withdrawals, sooner or later I will be operating at an NSF with you and I will not have any more trust for you. More often than not, when people come to my office and they're ready for divorce, they actually still do love each other, but the trust is gone. The kingdom of God, a marriage doesn't last because you've always got that loving feeling. It lasts because you trust Him. It lasts because you trust her. Don't shout me down right now. I'm preaching real good. Forgiveness is a gift, but trust has to be earned back. And that's where a lot of times the offending party wants just to make it, well, let's just have it just like it was. Well, baby, you shouldn't have done what you did then. Okay? And so when we're in that situation, we have to recognize the distinction between forgiveness and trust. God commands me to forgive, and I don't forgive him or her I, necessarily for them. I forgive them for me because if I hold it, it's going to eat me up on the inside. But trust is definitely on them. They have to earn it back. They have to walk it out over a period of time. Somebody say amen. Recognizing the joining of God. This is what I want you to see this morning as we bring this down to a close today. Um, when a couple comes to be married, they come usually because they've already spent time together and their hearts have been joined. Their, their spirits have come together. Their souls are being knitted together because they've talked about destiny and common interests and a future that they can make together. And many times it's, it's very complementarian because his weaknesses are made up by her strengths and vice versa. And so we have these things where you see him strong in an area and she's weak and it makes up for it and it just is back and forth, kind of a give and a take. And, and I always tell young couples, look, this is not a 50-50 proposition. If, if all of you are only halfway in this thing, let's don't even go to the altar because it's not going to last. It has to be 100-100. And sometimes when one of you is down or low or sick, it's going to have to be 125 on somebody's part because she's running at 75 battling cancer or, or, or got two babies in the house and she needs your extra, not just 100, but need to give a little bit more, guys, brothers, sisters. He's lost his job. And that's not the time to, to go uh, all ragging him out all the time when he's doing everything he can and he's trying to find another job. That's the time to get behind him and support him and strengthen him. And come on, sister, be the 125 in the relationship. 
This thing is a give and take, and it's a back and forth, and it's a supporting others sometimes when we don't necessarily feel like it. And isn't that what you said when you stood up before God and witnesses and you said that in, 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 in riches and in poverty, in adversity and in opposition, in, in sickness and in health, in, in blessing and in lack, all of these different kinds of things, that forsaking all others, I promise I'm going to love you as long as we both shall live until death do us part. I forgot to tell you part of the story because they brought me their vows. You remember the Social Security recipient and the prom dress girl? They wrote out their vows and I looked, I scanned them real quick and I got down to it and it, they had said that they would stay together as long as we both shall love. Isn't that interesting? How when you change one, one little bitty tiny vowel from an I to an O and it changed the whole meaning of the vow, of the covenant words that are spoken before God and before witnesses. I promise that I'm going to be with you as long as we both shall love. Q, Q Top Gun, you've lost that loving feeling. Come on, everybody. Whoa, loving. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what whenever you don't feel like it anymore. As long as we both shall love. Now, how many of you know there's some days you just don't feel like it? I know there have been days because she loves me and she's married to me. I know there have been days that Dawn doesn't feel like loving me. Now, she's amazing. I, I love her. She's just a phenomenal woman. But if God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You stand up before witnesses. And we do everything that we can to try to recreate this whole garden scene. We bring in flowers and we've got furled down the aisle. And she... He puts her hand into that young man's hand. It's literally a transferal from saying she is no longer under my authority, but she has now been transferred to you. And what happens is you take the name of him. She becomes Mr. and Mrs., whatever his name is. Do you realize this morning that you're sitting here as the bride of Jesus Christ? I'm looking at Mrs. Jesus Christ right here sitting in this room. God does not like covenant breaking. Let's move this thing beyond marriage and let me wrap this thing up this morning. Because we live in a society where every attempt to be able to get out of our agreements is set before us. We need to learn to recognize the joining of God. Look at the words. What do they say? What God has joined together. Say them with me. What God has joined together, let not man separate. That's, that's I believe, in relationships and friendships that are lasting. Today... Guys, girls, if you have a friend that you've been friends with for longer than 20 years, you have something so very valuable that money cannot buy. When you have somebody that walks with you, that's been with you, that's been a friend for decades, you can't put a value on that. I, I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to say that because of the example of my mom and dad and just the challenge before us, that, that they were not even halfway yet to the point of what they were able to live in front of us just in terms of commitment, in terms of making it through difficult times and, and problems and praying together and working together and sitting down and working to find a solution and having arguments like very real people do, but always coming together and loving on each other and letting us as children see that demonstration of what real sacrificial love was about. Not just serve me, but I'm here to serve you. And both of them back and forth serving the other one and me seeing that kind of an example. And I said, I want that kind of a marriage. I want that kind of a relationship that lasts. Because there's a blessing on covenant keeping 
on lasting relationships. The next point is generational transfer. Please hear what I'm saying to you this morning. When we start talking about inheritances, everybody thinks in terms of measuring it in dollars and cents, in resources. Are there some land holdings? Are there some stock certificates? Is there an IRA? Is there a 401k? Is there some life insurance? Are there some annuities? Is there a trusteeship? Is there something they've left me? And the Bible tells us that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But I want to tell you that it's a season of restoration. Alex called me early the other day one morning. He said, man, I've just, I've just been praying and God is just stirring my heart. I just think there's some breakthrough that's coming. And I said, man, that's all over me. I stand in agreement with that in the name of Jesus. And what we were doing this morning is believing God to break the chains off of every one of you in this room so that you can walk in the freedom that is in Christ. Hallelujah. And the way we do that is we have to divorce ourselves from this covenant-breaking culture around us. If you give your word, this is what my daddy told me as a little boy. This is long before they even signed contracts. This is when, when I can't remember the guy's name. He was an old gray-haired man who was the president at First National Bank for years. He just said, Grady, he called him on the phone. He said, if I've got your word, I'll go ahead and cut the check. You can come down later and sign the contract. That's how good my daddy's word was. That's a different kind of day from which we live today. Are are we real men? Do we act like men? Do we make a commitment and keep our word? Because our word is our bond. Is that when I'm supposed to stop preaching over there? Is that an alarm? I'm coming down to the end, I promise. What God has joined together. There's a blessing on covenant-keeping relationships. I want to give my children something, but more than dollars and cents, I want to give them the revelation of who God has been to me. Honey, I was sick, and the doctors didn't know what they were going to do, and I prayed, and God healed me. Jesus is my healer. He can be your healer too. This is what Abraham did and built into Isaac. This is what Isaac did and built into Jacob, and it became the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they passed it down from one generation to another. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home where my mama would go and close the door and take the picture off the wall and she would dedicate early morning prayer time and I would see her crying and praying for our older sister. Some of you don't know that that we actually had two families. Mom and dad had two families, 14 years apart. I have a a sister that's 68, Phyllis in Arizona, and a brother in Virginia who is 65. And then I came along 14 years later. I found my mom's diary when I was about 9 years old and she says, when I found out I was pregnant with Michael, I thought God was trying to kill me. And I'm a really nosy, snoopy, little fat little boy. And I, I, I just took it right to her and I said, what does this mean? Well, now, now, Mike. Now, honey, that's, you'll, one of these, and she's just like stumbling, trying to figure out how she's going to tell me what she meant when she said God was trying to kill her when she got pregnant with me. And she says, well, let me just let you keep reading here. And then she said when she was pregnant with Dewey, she thought, how do you do all this counseling? My mother a few years ago said, well, Grady and I weren't counseled. I said, yeah, but you started out with a lot more common sense than my generation starts out with these days. She said, we weren't counseled and we lasted 63 years. I said, well, it's just a different day. And I said, Mama, think about this. We send kids to school for 13 years just to get a high school education to either send them into some kind of vocation and a career or to get them ready to go to college to study for four more years before they take a career that's only going to last probably 40 years. And we don't even take 30 minutes to sit down with them and talk about the most important decision they're going to make on the planet and that's the spouse they're going to choose to live with till death do us part. Seriously? I think people need to be 
sat down and, and dis- discipled and, and, and understand exactly what the Word of God talks about and, and the responsibilities there and loving and honoring and cherishing and submitting and all those Bible words in a relationship. And there's no way you can make it successful if one of you knows Jesus and the other one doesn't. Now, if you're in a situation like that, don't get out just because he doesn't know the Lord or she doesn't know the Lord because God can change that. Okay? Come on, somebody. We can pray. We've seen God do it a whole lot. Number two, no evangelistic dating. Baby, he's putting his best foot forward for you right now, sweetie. And, and, and if you don't think it's gonna, not going to get worse when, when you say I do and you do and they do and, he, and we do and it's over with, let me tell you something. If, he's, if he doesn't love Jesus right now, there's no guarantee he's ever going to in the future. Start out with that commitment. Start out knowing what his heart is about the things of God. Don't shout me down. Last one, understand real compatibility. It's not enough that, that he's a male and you're a female or vice versa. But do you have interests? What kind of families did you come from? How are you going to handle money? How, how, how are you going to learn how to communicate? How, how did your mom and dad fuss? How did, they, how did they rectify a fight? Because guess what? That's how you're going to fight. You've learned how to do it. Was it, was it, um, was it flying bullets when they had a fight? Or, or, or was it historical? The guy says, don't you mean hysterical? Every time we fight, my wife gets hysterical. He said, no, I mean historical. She reminds me of everything I've ever done wrong in my whole life. <laughs> Is it freeze out, play Eskimo? Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about in here. <laughs> when you have a fight. So you've got to learn how you're going to communicate. How, how do you deal with that? Because a lot of times we learn that from our parents. It's learned behavior. You know, what do you want to do with your life? You have a heart for missions and you want to do something and he doesn't even think anything about that. Baby, you probably don't even need to be thinking about trying to get married. You want to have those things talked out. You want to be compatible in terms of heading in the same direction. Finally, and I'm finished this morning, thank you for bearing with me. Those of you who have experienced the pain of divorce, Jesus Christ is crazy in love with you and he wants to ease your pain. But before you turn around and make another mistake, We want to help you get prepared to make a good decision and to build on a right foundation. Because why? Read this out loud. Marriage, read it with me. This is the second most important decision that you will make in your life. If marriage is the second one, what do you think is the first? It's making the real, true, honest decision to make a covenant, to make a quality decision to walk with Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can regenerate. Only the Spirit of God can take a dead man and make him alive. There's no decision you can make. There's no special prayer you can pray. You can't make that happen. The Bible says in John 1.13 that we are born not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of blood, but of God. When we are born again, it's, it's solely and lonely, only, only the act of God Himself. He comes in, breathes life into your spiritual death. I believe that there are people in this room who have been in a spiritual grave of death and He has called you by name and you are coming alive and there's something that you sense in your spirit. You don't really know how to define it. Some of you have just been tuning into Christian radio and been worshiping and maybe, maybe you've been crying more than you ever have before and you've been trying to hide it. Maybe there's been a softening in your heart. Maybe you've been praying more than you ever have before. That's probably a real indicator of the Holy Spirit's activity working in your life to draw you, 
to bring you to himself because we have a father whose love is absolutely relentless. He won't give up on you. And he loves the divorcee. If you're divorced in here in this room this morning, do not walk out of here under condemnation. Jesus Christ died to forgive you of that sin just like he did anybody else's sin in this room this morning. But let's turn now and let's build our lives on a completely different solid foundation to have a marriage that will last. Bow your hearts with me please this morning.